Hey, this is AJ Swanson, Youth Director at Christ Community Church in Frisco. Welcome back to another year of Yak Podcast, which we um, record all the teachings that we have throughout the year uh, to make sure parents know um, what I'm teaching their students um, and for students who maybe missed a week to follow up uh, with the lesson. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, this first podcast is uh, from Tri-Cities, which was a combined youth group function over the summer. Um, and this is uh, the second part of the um, talk, which is on uh, the Son and the Trinity. Lutherans. Oh, Lutherans. Good people. Great potlucks. Um, the Irish Brothers did a good job of outlining some of what we discussed last month. If you haven't caught on by now, we're talking about the Trinity um, this summer. Last month we covered the Father, today we're covering the Son, and next month we'll cover the Holy Spirit. So what is a working definition of the Trinity, one that will help us begin to grasp the concept? And that is this, there is one God eternally existing in three distinct persons that are all fully and co-equally God. Sometimes, knowing what something doesn't mean will help us determine what it does mean. So let's chip away at the rock and see the sculpture underneath. We do not mean, when we talk about the Trinity, we do not mean tritheism. So what is tritheism? We discussed it a little last month. Who wants to give it a shot? Not Andrew Simmons. Andrew Rich. Andrew Rich. Andrew Rich. Another Andrew. Uh, there are three gods, not one God. Excellent. So the doctrine of the Trinity does not mean we believe in three gods. This is not the Zelda series. We do not believe in a Triforce. We do not believe in Yin Yang and his brother playing. We do not believe, we believe that God is one, one God. Uno Gado, for those of you that speak Spanglish. One God. We do not mean modalism, Patrick. We do not mean modalism. What is modalism? Or give me an example of modalism. Not Andrew, not Andrew. I'm going to call on somebody to give me an example of modalism if, if you're not going to tell me. And if you look down, you're the first one I call, a former teacher. Anyone want to give me an example of modalism? No. Timothy, thank you. <laughs> what is an example of modalism? Uh, I, get, I get confused with the other one. Um, give it a shot, then I might give you the correct answer to you. Is it the one where... Timothy, um, This is the one where um, they're not um, the father as showing himself as different people. Boom! Excellent. Everyone give Timothy a round of applause. Last month, Andrew used a math analogy of a one-man show. Um, As a theater major, I've been there. They're terrifying. Um, Where one person comes on and he plays the role of the father. No, 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 clean your room. And then the son comes on the stage like, I don't want And then the mom comes on stage and it's like, just let me get away with it. And it's just this, this show that's happening. It's not God showing up as three different modes. Modalism. Okay? The other way that modalism is most frequently analogized, I just I think made up two words there, um, frequently analogized is in the water analogy. Well, the Trinity is like water in that sometimes it's ice and sometimes it's gas and sometimes it's a liquid. Solid, man. Okay? 
So that is, we're not saying that. We're not saying it's modalism. God is not playing different parts. Uh, we do not mean, and this one's a definitely made up word, subordinationism. Okay? We do not mean that God is subordinate to one another. They are co-equal. Jesus is at 99% God, and the Holy Spirit is at 98% God. Everyone, the Father, Son, and Spirit, is 100% God. Similar to the Son analogy Patrick dropped, they aren't created by the Father. Okay? That's false. That's Arianism, Patrick. Okay? However, that does not mean that they don't function in a way in which they're willing to follow one of the persons. I like how Andrew put it last month, so I'm going to steal it verbatim. The Father acts in somewhat of a leadership role in the Trinity. Even though he isn't better than the Son and the Spirit, he functions as a leader of sorts, as a human father does. The Son functions in a way similar to the way a human son does. The Father sends him, and he goes and does his Father's will. Not because he is less than the Father, uh, but because he loves the Father, and he is the Son of the Father. And the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son to do the will in all of creation because the Spirit is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. So we will discuss the role of the Son, why that's important, and how that brings you into a relationship with the Trinity today. So let me pray for us, okay? And we'll get to work. Uh, Father God, um, as we discuss subjects that many of us are convinced belong only in a seminary classroom, um, I ask that you make this personal for us today, um, that we understand why the Trinity model that you have shown yourself to be uh, relates to our lives and how it invites us into relationship with you. Um, Lord, um, I ask that we're honest with our hearts, honest with where we are uh, willingly, uh, willing you to follow, willing for us to follow you. Lord, uh, that we would uh, cling to Jesus, cling to the cross, and because of it, cling to you, Father. In your son's name, amen. So I have one gift. One gift. And that is a loud voice. It carries whether I want it to or not. Even before professional theater training, if I was in a room with about 2,000 people in it, 2,000 seat auditorium, they could all hear me. They never had an issue with that. I have never, I've been a soccer coach for over a decade, I have never in my decade of coaching soccer yelled out an instruction to one of my players on the field and then looked at me from across the field and go, never. They know my voice. Um, I've had done numerous events, whether weddings, shows, coffee house performances, camp conferences, where the sound system has went out for one reason or another and I didn't miss a beat. Why? Because I have one gift, and that is an obnoxiously loud voice. My children know where I am in the house the moment I open my mouth. They know me by my voice. My volume will probably be the last thing to go sometime long after my body and hopefully just before my brain. It's powerful. It can fill a room, it can set a tone, and it's recognizable. If you ever watch a video with me in the audience or in the background, and you hear me laugh, no one questions whether, who is that? It's a really weird laugh. No one, everyone knows it's AJ. Everyone. My voice, for many, defines me. I know that's how my eldest son, Stephen, first knew me. While he was in my wife's womb, 
I would talk to him. I would sing to him. I would ask him questions. As a good Presbyterian, we would review catechism. We would discuss the story arcs of Star Wars. You know, the good things that fathers are supposed to do with their children. Um, My eldest son Stephen's birth, though, was not easy for my wife. The boy was late, and my wife's doctor was about to go on vacation. Coupling that with a baby that was measuring almost 10 pounds for my petite wife, we were ready to evict the little booger from the womb. So we went to the hospital to schedule for uh, labor. They essentially pumped my wife full of a liquid that would trick her body into convincing itself that it was going into labor. It wasn't fun for the first hour, and it wasn't fun for the remaining 18. It was a long, long day. I promise I won't go into all the full birthing detail, but my wife was a champ. And the last three hours, if you've ever labored before, which I'm sure most of you have not, um, there's pushing involved. So she pushed for the last three hours. And about an hour into the ordeal, it was discovered that my wife responded better to me counting during the contractions than she responded to the nurse. So every time there's a contraction, I'm sitting there going, one, two, three, to help my wife know when to push and when not to push. Well, so it's 2 a.m., we've been laboring for three hours, and by we, I mean I've been counting vigorously for the last two. Stephen is about to arrive, and we were literally on the last push. I'm supporting my wife, and she is using my arms to stable herself, and I count. One, two, three, four, five. And a strange thing overcomes me. I suddenly am very, very dizzy. You see, one of the things they constantly tell women while they're in labor is to breathe. Hey, don't ever direct that instruction to the husband. But I had been counting, aka losing my breath, for the last two hours during every contraction. So, again, nurse didn't remind me to breathe, touch selfish. By the time we got to five on the last, five on the last push, I finished by saying, four, five, I'm getting dizzy. And like clockwork, the second worst tossed me aside into the fake lazy boy in the corner, and she finishes saying six, seven, while throwing me a wet towel and ice. Baby Steven cries for a first time. I mumble loudly. Remember, it's my gift. Steven's okay. Corey, are you okay? And she yells, I'm alive. (laughs) And so for the first five minutes of my son's life outside the womb, I'm sitting in a corner chewing ice cubes, literally catching my breath with a damp towel over my head while the nurses attend to my exhausted wife, who is receiving supplemental oxygen, by the way. A little jealous. <laughs> while a son who has clearly inherited my lungs screams in the corner. So about after five minutes, I stumble and work my way over to Stephen who is still screaming for the family down the hall, and I lean over to the little guy, and I say, shh, it's okay, Stephen. Daddy's here. Shh. He calls right down. He knew me because he heard my voice. He knew me because he heard my voice. He listened to me because he trusted 
my voice. And that is the role of the son, to listen to the voice and the will of the father. In other words, he recognizes the voice and readily obeys it. So why is this important? Why is understanding this aspect of the Trinity so important? It's because this. Because the Son does what we refuse and choose not to do. It's because the Son does what we refuse and choose not to do. He listens to the will of His Father while we struggle to listen or outright choose to run from the will of the Father. It's been that way since the beginning. In the garden, Adam and Eve heard the voice of God, and they knew God. But at some point, their own voices and the voice of a serpent clouded their ability to trust God, and they ignored the will of their Father. For their sin, they were cast outside the garden, and to our understanding, no longer heard the voice of their Creator. God the Father would instruct the Old Testament figures about floods, about the stars in the sky, about dreams from bushes on mountains. And those who obeyed the will of the Father were met with rewards. And those who didn't were limited to seeing the promised land from a distance. Saul, David, Solomon, the kings, the prophets were charged to heed the words and the will of God. And countless times they failed, even if the word of God did not. We see this constantly in Scripture. It's like a circular repetition throughout the Old Testament. The people listen to the will of God, and they flourish. The people forget the will of God and are led into times of trial. And it is during those times of trial where people are called back to God, and they cling to the work of the Son. It happens in our own lives all too often. I remember when I was in seventh grade, coming to grips with my sin before a triune God, how I clung to the cross and to Jesus during those first months of my conversion. I was deep in Bible reading and clung to every word the youth pastor said at church and the pastor said at church at Sunday morning. I was hungry for the voice of God. Christ was very, very real. Some of you might have been there before. Then, like many of you, I began to get cocky. I was young in my faith, and I still didn't get it. But I had thoughts like this. God You've done so much for me. Please let me do some work for you. You can take the co-pilot seat, and I'll fly for a while. You've done so much for me. Let me work to please you. My heart's desire might have been commended, but that isn't how God works. And soon I forgot about my co-pilot, and my good deeds replaced Christ. My worth was dependent on church attendance, outreach activities, and sharing Jesus with my friends. And then I was reminded how worthless my good deeds were before God, how they were like filthy rags, how I screwed up constantly in attendance, attitudes affected outreach and the gospel message to my friends often looked like a long ladder to climb out of a pit of sin. I had stopped listening to the voice of God and started listening to a voice that I thought would please him. And this is so easy in America. We are raised in a culture where work ethic and busyness is equated to self-worth. Are we not? Where we equate doing the right things with having a good life. And if you have a good life, then you must be doing something right before God. There are three voices vying for your attention. You could argue two, and I might end up there. But we're going to start with at least these three voices that are vying for your attention in this culture. The first one is our own voice. The second one is the voice of others. And lastly, 
is the voice of God. Our own voice. Let's see what Scripture says about our own voice. Our own voice. Romans 1, 24 and 25. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Mark 7, 21, 23. For from within, out of the heart of man. Let me stop here, because a lot of you miss this within our culture. When we say heart in scripture, we don't mean Disney heart. Like, oh, you've won my heart. And insert, I can show you the world. No, we don't mean, when we say heart, we don't mean this like love, emotional connection. What we mean in scripture when we say heart is our will, our decision. It is a will when we talk about heart. So again, let's read it. For from within, out of the will of man, or the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. Our hearts, especially for the non-Christian, especially for the non-Christian, seek things that do not please God, but further to desire to please ourselves. And this is one thing I just want you to walk away with tonight. Our thinking, our heart, our will, will regularly seek to justify our own desires. We will regularly seek to justify our own desires. Lord, I love this sport. Lord, I love this activity. You can fill in the blank. Insert Google search on how to play soccer for the glory of God. How to play video games for the glory of God. How to dance for the glory of God. How to do drama to the glory of God. How to do X to the glory of God. Rarely do we search for how can, I, how can what I want become an idol in my life. We rarely are setting up barriers. We're looking for justification in our searches. Or this one. It's not there yet. It will be. Lord, I love this boy and I love this girl. Or, hopefully, or girl. So giving my heart to them is what you mean when I read X in Scripture, right? It couldn't possibly mean the opposite. Lord, I know what you say that I shouldn't be unequally yoked to not date unbelievers, but my mission field is Match.com. <laughs> my mission field for Jesus. Or I love this line. I've heard it way too often in my life, and I don't respond well to it. And hopefully you've not used it, and hopefully you never use this. But I hear this line a lot, especially from college students. So my former RUF guy, you know this line. You've heard it. The Lord wouldn't have given me this desire if he didn't want me to pursue it. The Lord wouldn't have given me this desire if he didn't want me to pursue it. Where is that in Scripture? The book of Second Opinions? <laughs> We hyper-spiritualize our desires in a heartbeat to justify what we want. Instead of seeking the will of God, we seek God to conform to our will. Instead of seeking the will of God, we seek God to conform to our will. And that way we do not act like the sons and daughters that we are called to be. The son, however, 
listens to the will of the Father. Father, John 12, 49 and 50. For I do not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So here's the other voice people listen to. The voice of other people. Okay? We care much more about fitting in with the people around us than seeking after the son who sought us. Don't we? We care much more about seeking or about fitting in with the people around us than seeking after the son who sought us. Let me rephrase it a little because it seems to reflect again the first part. We care more about seeking others who validate our own desires than seeking after the son who wants to change your desires. We care more about seeking others who validate our own desires than seeking after the Son who wants to change your desires. And we know this. That's why we feel like our friends can be, like, really fickle. That's why clicks happen at school or at clubs, etc. We don't desire to change. No one desires to change. We all desire to be validated. I don't want to change. I don't want too many people who are going to rub up against me or share an opinion that I don't. I want to make sure I'm surrounded by people who are going to be like, yes, you are right. Get up. But the will of the Father will challenge all that. It always has. God has always gone against the grain with the way you or I or anybody in this world would have done it. It was the will of the Father to use a murderer and a coward to lead his people out of Egypt. It was the will of the Father for the king of Israel to be a shepherd boy instead of a good-looking tall warrior like Saul. It was the will of the Father for Nineveh, of all places, to hear the word of the Lord and repent. It was the will of the Father for Joseph to be sold into slavery, only to be able to save the people of Israel from family. It was the will of the Father to send his son to die in our stead so that we can have a relationship with him, even though we have nothing to offer. Father, Jesus, the Spirit have always gone against the grain about the way we think it should be done. Why? Because we're not following the will of the Father. We're more likely to follow our will. You see, that's the whole point. That's the crux of the matter. Is that we follow our desires only to be led to destruction, to stress, to emptiness, because we are not created to serve the self. We are not created to serve the self. In an I-blank culture, iPhone, iPad, I-whatever culture, we are not created to serve the self. We were created to listen to the will of our Father. But because we have failed, the Son comes to do what we could not, so that we could be brought into unity with the triune God. We are convinced in America that we can have it all. We're convinced in America that we can have it all. And it's because you live amongst the 1% in the world. And most of you literally do have it all. You're gifted a car, a phone, a room, three meals a day. For some of you people who are growing the right way, four and five meals a day. Opportunities to join whatever sport or club you want. Many of you will get to go to any college you want. So what's the need for God? Why should I listen for his voice when I can pretty much get everything I need? The world tells you you can be whatever you want whomever you want, with whomever you want, play whatever you want, 
watch whatever you want, own whatever you want, because I am the center of your desires, instead of I am being the center of your desires. The focus for most of us is me. What can I do today? Who can I be today? Who can I hang out with today? Instead of who would I am have me to be? Who would I am have me do today? Why do I need the voice of God when I can text a friend for their opinion and ignore his words when I can click the next level of whatever game on my phone I want to play? I can distract myself real quick and get validation all here. We are biblically illiterate and we wonder why we can't hear God. Of course you can't hear God. Many of us think meditating on scripture is sitting cross-legged on a yoga mat that says Jeremiah 29 11 while humming the latest Christian radio. That's what many of us are convinced Christian meditating is. And we think that's spiritual living. We think that's spiritual living. Many of you don't have peace because you've never listened to the voice of God. You haven't had a desire to follow His will. So when you're confronted with your sin, this is what you do. This is what I used to do a lot, especially my unsaved years. Maybe you've heard this before. This is how you respond to God. God, you don't want anything from me, surely. God, I will come to you and listen, but let me handle my crap first. And then I'll come and worship you. I can't go to church dealing with this. I have to, I have to get, get it together. God, there is no way you could love someone as me. God, I am worthless. Have you said those things to yourself? I remember I was there. I don't want to say those things to myself. This is going to sound harsh, but you need to hear it. Stop listening to your own voice. Stop. Stop. Stop listening to your own voice and start listening to the voice of your Father who loves you dearly. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. If anyone's righteous in here, maybe you're in the wrong message, but if you're a sinner like me in here, thank the Lord. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. That's John 3.17. A lot of you probably know the verse before that too. That's a good one too. Big one. I know. Don't freak out. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believe not in me, but in him who sent me, which is the other good job. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Throughout that whole thing, it's literally this idea that he is listening to the voice of his Father. He is following the will of his Father. Listening to the words of Christ as prophet will make him priest and king of your life. And we get to share in the inheritance of being recognized as a son and daughter of God. 
when we follow the Son who can listen to the, listen to the Father on our behalf. And then also follow his model and live out as the son and daughter of God. The beauty of that relationship is extended to us. We get the Father when we receive the Son. Some of you junior high kids have heard this message, not message, but this story recently. I'm going to end with this picture. I want you to get a picture, okay? Years ago, there was a wealthy man, we'll call him the Count, who with his devoted son shared a passion for art collecting. Together, they traveled around the world, adding only the finest treasures to their collection. Monet's, Van Gogh's, Picasso's, and many others adorned the walls of their family's estate. The widower elderly man looked upon with satisfaction as his only child became an experienced art collector. The son's trained eye and sharp business acumen caused his father to beam with pride as they dealt with art collectors from around the world. As winter approached, war engulfed the nation, and the young man left to serve his country. After only a few short weeks, a father received a telegram. His beloved son was missing in action. The art collector anxiously awaited more news, fearing he would never see his son again. Within days, his fears were confirmed. The young man had died while rushing a fellow soldier to a medic. Distraught and lonely, the Count faced the upcoming Christmas holidays with anguish and sadness. The joy of the season, a season he looked forward to so much, he would look forward to no longer. Christmas would not visit his house no longer. Then on Christmas morning, a knock came out the door that awakened the depressed Count. And as he walked to the door, the masterpieces that lined the halls only reminded him of his son that wouldn't be there that day. As he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hand. He introduced himself to the Count by saying, I was a friend of your son. I was, one of the, one, I was the one he rescued when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I would like to show you something. The two talked for a while about the Count's son. The soldier told of how the man's son had told everyone of his, not to mention his father, love for fine art. I'm, a, I'm an artist, said the soldier, and I, I want to give you this. As the old man unwrapped the package, the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of his son. Though the world would never confuse this portrait for the work of a genius, the painting featured the young man's face in striking for the first time since hugging his son goodbye before being deployed, he looked into the eyes of his son. The Count did not talk for some time and just stared at the picture. As the Count began to cry, the soldier worried he had done something wrong and asked if he liked the gift. Do, you, do I like it? said the Count. Overcome with emotion, he set the picture to the floor, took the masterpiece that hung over the fireplace, and hung his son's portrait in its place. He thanked the soldier, and they spent the afternoon getting to know one another. The painting hung above the fireplace in the most prominent place in the estate, pushing aside the thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars of paintings. When people would come to visit, he would start the tour of his house by showing them the work of the young soldier and talk about his son. And during the days and weeks that followed, the man realized 
that even though his son was no longer with him, the boy's life would live on because of those he had touched. He would soon learn that his son had rescued dozens of wounded soldiers before a bullet stilled his caring heart. As the stories of his son gallantly continued to reach him, fatherly pride and satisfaction began to ease the grief. He told his neighbors it was the greatest gift he had ever received. The following spring, the old man became ill and passed away, and the art world was lit with anticipation. Unmindful of the story of the man's old son, but in his honor, those paintings would be sold at auction. According to the will of the old man, all the artworks would be auctioned on Christmas Day, the day he had received his most uh, famous and greatest gift. The day soon arrived and the art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. Dreams would be fulfilled that day. Greatness would be achieved, as many claimed. I have the greatest collection. The auction began with a painting that was not on the museum's list, was not on the estate's list. It was the painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid. The room was silent. Who will open the bidding at $100? He asked. Then it's passed. 90? 80? Someone from the back yelled, Get to the real pieces of art! No, this one must be sold first. Now, who will take the sun? Finally, a friend who's the gardener of the old man spoke up. He said, Will you take $10 for the painting? It's all I have. I knew the boy. So I'd like to have it. I have ten dollars. Will anyone go higher? After more silence, the auctioneer said, going once, going twice, gone. The gavel fell, cheers filled the room, and someone exclaimed, now we can get with the real treasures to bid on. The auctioneer looked at the audience and announced that the auction was over. Stunned disbelief quieted the room. Someone spoke up and asked, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for the picture of some old guy's son. What about all the other paintings? There are millions of dollars of art here. I demand that you explain what's going on here. And then an auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the father, whoever takes the son gets it all. According to the will of the father, whoever takes the son gets it all. There are other paintings in this world that you will distract you from the priceless work of the art of the sun. But know that the sun is the key to all your heart's desires. To peace, to joy, to fulfillment by the will of the Father and the work of the Son through the work of the Spirit. Cling to Christ this day. There are two things I want you to leave with. One, learn the voice of your father and follow the voice of your father. Learn scripture. Learn scripture. Spend time in the word. Know it. So when Satan meets you in your desert, you can respond appropriately. 
And if others of you have come, and if you haven't, if there are people here who haven't come to Jesus, if you haven't taken the Son, choose Him this day. Talk to me, talk to Paul, talk to Andrew, talk to one of your leaders. The second one is for those in the room that call themselves Christians. That is this, obey the Father. Obey the Father. I'm not talking about some grand obedience where you have to go to, go to war to lay down your life for another. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the daily small things. The mundane life. Time spent in prayer. Time spent refining your character because the words from God that you hear. Slowing down so you can recognize the needs and help others around you and actually have time to do it. Not being distracted by frivolous things. Honoring others. Spending time with others. Spend your time well. Time spent knowing Jesus and knowing the Father. It is through the sacrifice of the Son that you will have access to the Father. Let me pray and I'll release you. Thanks for listening to our Yak podcast. If you want more information on Yak, you can visit cccfrisco.org. Uh, Join us again in a couple weeks as we start our vision series, and, and then we move to hermeneutics, and then a study of Jonah and Luke this year. Thanks for tuning in.